Don't let profits drive out of your service bay. Growing your service base is key for business. And partnering with the number one most trusted third-party automotive brand has its benefits. With 18 million unique visitors per month on KBB.com, a partnership with Kelly Blue Book Service Advisor means big-time visibility for your service center. As a featured service provider, you'll bring more consumers in for scheduled service appointments and in turn discover the maximized service revenue for your dealership. Hello and welcome to the Canada's Used Car Week edition of the Auto Remarketing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Overby, Senior Editor at Cherokee Media Group and part of the conference team here. And we are recording this show on site here in Toronto. And joining me today is Stephen Pagozo of Scuderia Coaching. And uh, Stephen, thank you. Thank you so much for being here and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. We were chat, chatting a little bit offline about your company and, mm-hmm. and sort of the, the origin of the name, but can you give us a little bit of background on your company and your role your role at, at the coaching company and, and sort of how it all got started? It all got started basically with my, uh, my history in the car business. I started selling cars uh, back in 2000 at a store, a BMW store that no longer exists actually. And my, um, my GM at the time started a software system out of the dealership just out of sheer frustration because he couldn't find good software. And uh, in 2002, he sort of uh, resurrected that software at the dealership, and I was one of the first users of it. It was called 180. It's still around today in, in Canada. It's still quite popular, actually. And then from there, um, 10 years on, I ended up doing my own consulting. I saw a need in the car business because, as you know, the car business is about process and people. And that process isn't solely solved by software. You have to organize the people, organize the software. And that's basically what I do with my clients. I take them through a very complicated software or complicated sales process, try to streamline it, and do my best to inform either their sales team, sales managers on best best practices. And not only that, get them to understand mainly the tools that they use every day, their CRM systems and stuff like that. So, yeah. And so do you, do you work with dealers mainly in Toronto area or all throughout Canada? I have clients. Luckily, I have some great clients all across Canada. The GTA is a very big area. The greater Toronto area in southern Ontario uh, has quite a a lot of dealers it's a high concentration so I don't really exit Ontario very often and obviously thanks to uh, technology and internet uh, services I can do a lot with with webinar conferencing and whatnot because a lot of it is CRM and, and consulting and whatnot yeah Tell me a little bit about the name Scuderia Coaching and, and how, it, how that came to be. <laughs> well, I mean, when, when you're starting a company and it's, you know, it's 2011 and you're like, oh, what, what am I going to call this service? I, I'm a big fan of uh, racing, Formula One racing, and particularly Ferrari. And growing up in an Italian household, you know, Ferrari was one of the names on, on, on the list of, you know, uh, goal, goal-oriented, uh, you know, car purchases. And I guess knowing the name or the history of the name, Scuderia in Italian means stable, as in a horse stable, because before you race cars, you race horses. And uh, Enzo Ferrari started his company in a barn. And so his race team was a stable of horses or stable of cars. So he called it Scuderia Ferrari. And you'll see a lot of actually Italian race teams call themselves mm-hmm. Scuderia something, Moto Guzzi or whatnot. So I just thought Scuderia Pigozo or Scuderia Coaching is what I've, I've kept the name as. Yeah. So as a, as a Formula, you're, you're a longtime Formula One fan. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the sudden just like surge in popularity of, of Formula One? I mean, in the, in the United States, we've seen on that people who've never watched F1 before 
started watching there was a, there's a show on Netflix and it's yes got yeah yeah hooked. Drive to Survive yeah yeah yeah, so yeah, what, yeah, do you, yeah. what do you make of the rise you of know I, I I do a lot of work in media and television uh, producing and and actually working in front of the camera so I do a lot of social media YouTube type stuff and and even stuff on on television and film and I really appreciate what it's brought to Formula One a certain amount of visibility that I think I would say only an American company can. I think one of the things that I'll always say Americans do really, really well is they do events really well. And I've been to IndyCar, I've been to Formula One events. IndyCar, you walk through the paddock. You yeah. could walk past the driver, shake a hand. I've been to five Formula One races, six or so, and it's very different. Unless you haven't put down five grand to be in the paddock area, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have that sort of experience. And I've always felt certainly uh, in the early years, the early 2000s, you wanted to watch Formula One, you had to get up at seven in the morning, catch the race on, on uh, speed or you know whatever, TSN, if you had the package. And it was just really difficult to watch because it was not very accessible. And I think it's really brought us a huge amount of accessibility to Formula One and just put eyes on it because it really is, you know, it's a traveling circus. It's, it's pretty impressive. I would really love it if they just went back to ICE engines, but that, uh, that's a whole other discussion I don't yeah. want to get into. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, speaking of, of kind of automotive trends that are yes, having, a, having yeah. a big impact, within your specific segment of the business, you know, in, in your, as you're coaching these dealers and consulting with mm -hmm. them, what are some industry trends in Canada that you're specifically paying attention to and what's, what's kind of having the most impact on, on the areas you, you work in? Well, there's two things that have really affected I think the car business, whether it's Canada or the US, doesn't matter. And that's the proliferation of software, certainly. I started in the business before a lot of software. Watched it grow, was a part of a software company mm -hmm. that you know built software for the car business. So I would say right now, the trend that I'm most keeping my eye on is the simplification of our business via technology. I keep saying this, and this is recorded, so hopefully for posterity, if I'm proven wrong in the next half decade to a decade, I'll, I'll say no problem, that I was wrong. But until we make the car business simpler, both in Canada and the US and across the world, the software systems, all the software systems in the world aren't gonna make business easier. It's all about people and process. It will always be about people and process. And I think for those companies, and as the other trend that I think is, is making that I don't, want to say, I don't want to use the word worse. I think it's just put a stress on the use of technology as the conglomeration of dealerships. Mm -hmm. So you have less general managers making decisions. You have people called general managers, general sales managers, but most of the decisions are being made by C-suite members of a large group. They see a piece of software, they think, you know, that's really gonna work, Joe. This is gonna help your team sell more cars. And you're like, wow, another login. How many <laughs> logins is that now? Yeah. 32, I think. We end up, and I think, Personally, if we don't simplify this to the extent that people in process becomes number one, I think you end up with managers who are merely managing software systems. They don't manage people anymore. They don't manage process. They manage their logins yeah. and have to have a login where they can find all their logins. That's a problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So at any rate, not to be negative about it, but I think we have to take a good look back. And I speak to a lot of clients who are using a software system I've been looking at for 20 years. So don't get me wrong, of course I know it extremely well. But I would expect that the people making the decisions on that type of software would understand the basics of it, what it does do, what it doesn't do, rather than just say, oh, there's a new member of the C-suite, you know, or, or the, there's, a, there's a new software system here that is gonna change our lives, and it doesn't. 
because the process and the people still hasn't changed. So I, I think that's probably the number one trend I find is that we make these very quick decisions on we make decisions for other people and we're not the ones using the software. I, it just doesn't work. And I see that a lot and I just see that, you know, kind of come and go. So a lot of dealers, they try a software, they try it for 90 days. They're not really trying it. It's not really working. It's not developed. And I don't want to get into the software side of things as far as the development, but just so many pieces of software are underdeveloped and really they call them beta and it's just like you're the dealer you're going to help us design this yeah you know well why don't you give me a finished product i yeah. don't want to tell you how to build my bill of sale you know th that that type of thing and and after uh, 10 years on my own i have a lot of clients who trust i would say trust me or at least ask me advice and uh, i am genuinely extremely surprised how many of them are ready to drop their current, let's say, CRM system and ready to move over into another CRM system, not even knowing what they're missing out of their current or what they're not doing in their current. Software doesn't solve problems. That's, I guess, really the, <laughs> the underlining uh, uh, piece of, uh, or the underlining statement there. Software is not going to solve your problems. People in process does. So as, you know, dealer groups both in the U.S. and Canada, the trend is, is moving, as you mentioned, more towards these larger dealer groups that are buying you know, smaller stores and, and mm -hmm. growing and it becomes more of a corporate structure. Yes. How do you, how, how do you, how would you advise dealer groups and general managers to, to, to manage that, to have it where it's not just, where, where somebody who's making the boots on the ground decision actually has a, a view of what's happening at his or her dealership. How do you, how do you advise dealer groups to make it so it's, you know, not just everything being made at the top? The honest answer is it's extremely difficult. Yeah. It's extremely difficult because, unfortunately, with larger groups, you're not talking to the general manager or sales floor manager. You're talking to a marketing person, the person that handles all nine rooftops, all 27 rooftops. They don't work in the car business. They've never sold a car. I'll insist to them that your email blast that you were sending out to people with no signature from their current salesperson and not even a salutation to say, hi, Joe, mm -hmm. is not as effective as a remarket using your team's feedback in order to pick and choose whom you're communicating with. And that's a problem because a lot of marketing at the dealership level, and I mean a dealership sending out marketing to customers, is remarketing. Hence, I really like the name Remarketing Conference mm -hmm. because remarketing is the number one thing that I think a lot of dealers, a lot of groups, miss the plot on. I'll give you an example. If you're a dealership and you're part of a large group, you're going to do whatever that marketing team thinks is a good idea with your current data. But Joe, I'll ask you a simple question. If I'm a dealership and I have customer data, who are those people? I don't know a single dealer that buys customer data. Not a single one of my clients buys customer lists. Yes, you can buy you know, uh, lists of customers if you're trying to do like uh, subprime financing or stuff like that. You know. But I'm talking about getting customers to the dealership. They pretty much have their, generally, most are having their marketing done by Toyota or Honda, you know, their, their larger scale marketing. And those people within their database are people who bought a part, bought a service, purchased a vehicle, or inquired about a vehicle. So if they've gone through a good process, they've already met us. They've met Joe, they've met Steven, or perhaps even just spoken or texted a sales rep back yeah. and forth, right? So we have all of those pieces. We've already met you. Why do we talk to you or message you like we don't know you? Why does it look like an ad in a newspaper? Why does it look like a pop-up from a website? 
generalized. Nothing stated toward you or what you're looking at, just a generalized statement. In a software system that I run, that I've helped a lot of my clients with, that 180 software, which was built 20 years ago, one of the things that it does, which makes it complicated, it doesn't do anything for you, but you can pick and choose all this data. Guess how you can choose it? Well, if we're remarketing or if we're contacting customers about a sale, yes, we can go into our DMS system, and I won't get into the difference between the two because a lot of my clients don't even know the difference. But if you're going into your DMS, that's a customer who've already bought a car from you. What about the people you've quoted in the last 90 days? Don't you want to grab those people? Yeah. Right? That simple construct, as you can probably guess, is going to make a very different result when you go and contact those people. Some of those people bought a car four years ago, but some of those people inquired in the last 90 days. And Polk reports tell us that if they inquired in the last 90 days, probably, you know, 40, 60% of them have already bought a car. Maybe not from you, but elsewhere. Yeah. Right. So I think one of the things that for me, uh, when it comes to the trends in the market and, and what people are doing, always leads back to what is the newest, bestest thing? How can we contact those people more quickly and more easily? And I think what we really need to do is focus on what our teams are saying, what our sales management teams are saying, what are the salespeople saying? Right? Why is that product not moving? It's not moving because it's not. And, and I think that feedback is so readily available. We have all these great salespeople and managers who see and work on the ground each and every day, yet we tell them what we're marketing to. We as in whoever is not at the dealership, which to me makes absolutely no sense. And I see that a lot. And that's a trend I really wish would change. But unfortunately, as groups grow and conglomeration of dealerships happen, we have, and I get it, you have now one person doing marketing for five teams. But Joe, I think anybody, even not in the car business, could understand that five different marketings from five different brands under five rooftops, yes, they're all owned by the same person or same group, but it's a different communication to Mercedes, to Audi, to Kia, to Hyundai, to yeah. Chevy. Why are all those communications the same? They're very different customers. So I think we can get far more specific, but we lose that specificity when we have one person doing it from a rooftop that's handling, you know, five, 10, 15 other rooftops. And I see that very often. And it's, it's too bad, really, because I can do more with a private store that we don't have to ask anybody what we're doing and we just start sending communications and preparing them and, and, and setting them ourselves. Far, far more effective. I see it all the time. But it's tough to tell that to uh, someone with a marketing degree. Yeah, very true. <laughs> <laughs> well, with this being a, a used car week conference, mm -hmm. what makes the Canadian used car business unique in your opinion? There's two things that make it unique. The second thing is that depending on the province, depending on the state, much mm -hmm. like in the U.S., you, well, in the province of Ontario, let's say, where, where most of our population is, if you want to plate a vehicle, you've bought your Ferrari, your Hyundai, your Kia, you want it? That's great. I'd love to have you drive it away today, but I can't. I still got to go to the licensing office and prepare your, oh, your licensing okay. and whatnot, right? That's not in every province in yeah. Canada for, for, the, um, for the U.S. listeners out there. So if I'm in uh, Newfoundland, I can plate a vehicle. You buy that car, you want it, sign here, plate's gone, done. Just open a drawer. I can also do that in British Columbia as well. That's a trend or that's a process that is pretty long in the tooth and a lot of dealers have asked for that to change, which is completely understandable. And that would really speed up the process of purchase. And I think that's a big one. I would say the other thing is just simply the Canadian buyer. That's the number one difference between Canada and the US. Luckily, I have a family in the US. I've spent time in the US. I've watched a colleague walk by, Clint Burns from Next Up, just walked by there. Great, great, great guy, great team. 
I, I think one of the things that we forget in Canada is that when we're sold software or that when we're sold an idea, no offense, but if it's an American idea, we got to slow down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Buyers do not buy in Canada like they buy in the U.S. And that's why a lot of American companies will come to Canada to try to sell a product because Canadians are very polite, very staid. They're not that aggressive in a lot of ways. And I think for the Canadian buyer, <laughs> unlike the American buyer, I would say has a few more demands, expectations. I think the Canadian buyer is a little bit, well, a lot less aggressive. Mm -hmm. And that makes a big difference because one, some of the things that I train a lot of my sales team members on is to remind yourself that with your customer, politeness means that they might not, uh, they might not give you any feedback. They'll just walk away thinking, well, that was too expensive yeah. or I didn't like that guy and you'll never see them again. <laughs> Whereas I think a lot of American buyers would be far more opinionated, tell you what the price should be, tell you what they want <laughs> off the vehicle and that they want it tomorrow afternoon or else. <laughs> or yeah. I'm not buying it. So I think that's probably the, the, the biggest differences between the two. I don't know if there's a third. I would say maybe the third is that in Canada being a, in a cold climate. I don't know how much a, you know electric car adoption I would see. I, I, I don't think that that's something that in the used car market is very strong in Canada because, again, with our colder climates, and, and more rural areas. We, we really only have a couple major centers in Canada. So I usually tell people don't, don't use Toronto as a, as, a, as a point of interest for all cities in Canada. Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver are all extremely unique. The other 95% of Canada, 90% of Canadians live in much smaller communities uh, which much greater distances. Yeah. America is a big country like Canada. We're, we're slightly bigger, except take away 90% of the population. And in between, it's a lot of green and a lot of water. So I think that's, uh, that's always, uh, you know, always going to be a difference between, between Canada and the U.S. And, I mean, along those lines, I imagine the, in terms of the electric vehicle adoption, if, if you have, you know, large areas of rural populations or, or if, it's, if it's just not much population there, mm -hmm probably the less likelihood there's a vehicle charging station there's so that could oh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely and, and 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 when it comes to the whole discussion of electric vehicles and, and all that sort of stuff I think um, that's, a, that's a whole other trend that is very interesting to hear and when you hear of customers and setting up recently I actually heard that a subdivision was going up in an area called Kitchener Waterloo a pretty robust area not too far from here about an hour west the builders being builders of homes, setting up a subdivision was like, you know, with all these electric cars, we're going to want to have two 240 watt chargers for each double car garage. You know, it's a wealthy community, so everybody's got a double car garage. And they were, that was in plans until they hit the builders and the hydro company and they're like, oh, we can't do that. That, that breaks the system if everybody's on it. Oh, so yeah. maybe one, and in fact, it would be one, or at the, I think it was slightly less than one per, house, per household. So I think that is uh, something that I think the market will dictate. And I think, to be quite frank, that's the, that's the best part of our used car market. The used car market is really the canary in the coal mine for a lot of uh, things, a lot of trends that happen. And I think the used car market is really, you know, that secondary buyer is going to dictate prices of electric cars. Obviously, we see when they're purchased, they're a certain price. And when they go for resale, uh, that price drops quite a bit. We don't have service centers the way we'd like to have service centers. Not a lot of mechanics are ready to service a fully electric vehicle. And even hybrids are a little bit baffling to some service centers. And so I think that leads to a lot of 
customers who may be not that confident in, in that secondary purchase in the pre-owned side. So I think you'll, I personally think we'll see a trend more towards ICE engine vehicles being at a higher value than electric cars in the pre-owned market. Until large companies like Tesla start to support their pre-owned market, which they, they have to. And uh, as I always tell people, I, I know the car business, I don't know the stock market. <laughs> and the stocks will tell you that Tesla is amazing, but from a car industry person and someone who would expect to, I'll always bring my, my Corvette to Chevrolet to fix it. But if I needed someone else to fix it, the government, the province, everything legislation says, I can bring it anywhere and right. someone should be able to give me a part for that car. Why certain companies are not allow, are allowed to just be completely devoid of that sort of process or that expectation is a little bit odd to me. But again, that's a technology company, not a car company. If, if I'm not mistaken, that's what they're traded as. So very peculiar time in the business for that. And not to segue too far off of a pre-owned car discussion, but if all of our cars are gonna be electric, then it has to be a discussion right now. Yeah. And right now that discussion to me I want to say makes no sense just to be really harsh about it, I guess. You know, if that isn't too harsh of me to say, no. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, last question, and we'll let you go here. What are you, you know, as, as we get ready to kick off uh, the sessions here at Canada's Used Car Week, what are some of the things you're, you're most looking forward to, to learning and, and checking out this week? Well, I definitely, there's a, a bunch of speakers set up. I think it just goes back to Cherokee Media Group setting up a great conference. Mm-hmm. I've been to the last few, and they've always been great. I know they're good when I see so many colleagues from other dealerships coming as well. So you know there's interest. I think for myself, it's making making those connections with either new software systems, current software systems. I know uh, have some friends in the business from Next Up here. They're out of the U.S. Fantastic system. And just to see what else is new and trending. There's many here that I've already seen, but also from the last conference, I'm, I'm going to probably assume that some of these software systems have changed in the last six months because we're always changing. So it's going to be interesting to see how things have evolved a little bit and also to see who else is coming to the conference. So yeah, and Cherokee Media Group always does a great job with that. So looking forward to this the next couple days and and the next one, whenever that one is too. Awesome. We'll leave it there for today. Stephen, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no problem, Joe. Thank uh, you very much. Great great seeing you and thank you for your time and insights today. No problem. Thanks very much, man. Thanks for having me. Well, that will do it for this edition of the Auto Remarketing Podcast. Stay tuned for more from Canada's Used Car Don't let profits drive out of your service bay. Growing your service base is key for business, and partnering with the number one most trusted third-party automotive brand has its benefits. With 18 million unique visitors per month on KBB.com, A partnership with Kelly Blue Book Service Advisor means big-time visibility for your service center. As a featured service provider, you'll bring more consumers in for scheduled service appointments and in turn discover the maximized service revenue for your dealership.